we're going to jump right back into our brand new series entitled Not Normal uh, that we began together last Sunday. And so we're going to revisit a couple thoughts. If you look at that first point uh, on the screen with us today, we said that today we are living in a new normal because normal is relevant to the culture, the community, and the environment that we're living in. We said that our culture, community, and environment define our normal. Last week, we just kind of talked about that. We talked about that realization that there is, uh, there is always a new normal. Normal is always changing based on the culture, community, and environment that we're living in. And we talked about how that what's normal in America is not normal in other countries, and what's normal in other countries is not normal in America. And let's just be honest, what's normal in your family may not be normal in my family, and what's normal in my family may not even be normal in your family, because normal is always changing uh, based upon the culture and the community and the environment that you're living in. And so we also began to look at something last week. That next point on the outline simply says this, we recognize that as Christians, we are not called, right? We are not called to a new normal. The goal of Christianity is not that we would continually evolve and fit in to the culture around us. The goal of Christianity is that we would constantly evolve and fit in to the kingdom of God that is within us. So our goal as Christians is not a new normal, but to live our lives out of a new kingdom. And we recognize that the kingdom of God is not normal, amen? The kingdom of God is not normal. It's not normal when the world is drawing back, the church steps up. When the world is in fear, the church rises up in faith. And I believe with all my heart, the darkest nights and the darkest hours and in the midst of pandemics and crisis and chaos and confusion, it is the church's greatest opportunity to shine. It is our greatest opportunity to display and declare the goodness of God so that the world can find out, hey, there is hope in the midst of Christ. There is hope in God when there's no hope in this world. When you can't trust in a world system, you can trust in a God who created the world. Amen? And that's what God has called us to. And so we began to talk about that. And in Luke chapter uh, 17, Jesus said, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. And we talked last week about how we've been called to live out of that kingdom, how that the kingdom within us really begins to empower us to live the kind of life God's called us to live. Look at that next point. We said that the kingdom of God is upside down and backwards because it is static. The word static literally means unchanging. It is fixed. The kingdom of God doesn't change. It is an eternal kingdom. Jesus said, or the Bible says of Jesus, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. How many of you glad the same God that heals yesterday heals today, and he's going to heal tomorrow? Amen. The same God that saves yesterday is the same God that saves today, and he'll save tomorrow. The same God that delivered CB, how many years ago now, CB? Eight years ago, the same God that delivered him eight years ago is the same God that delivers people today, amen? The same God that delivers and saves, he hadn't changed. The Lord our God, the scripture says, changes not. And so here's the awesome truth. We live in an upside down and backwards kingdom because we're a part of a kingdom that does not change. And it is the kingdom of God within us that enables us to be steadfast, immovable, unmovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. And so we recognize that when we live out of the kingdom, then we live this steadfast life. We live a life that is steady and stable and consistent. 
And I kind of made the statement last week that I love steady people. Amen? When your life is filled with unsteady people, you live in constant chaos. And we all have unsteady people in our lives, and it should be that way because unsteady people need to connect to some steady people. Amen? (laughs) But the reality is, it is the people that are unshakable, and it is the people that are unmovable, and it is the people that are continually abounding in the work of Jesus Christ. Those are the kind of people that shape the world. Those are the kind of people that change this world for the glory of God. If you're constantly going up and down with the new normals of life, then guess what? You're going to blend right in, but God intends you not to blend in. God intends you as a Christian to stand out, amen? We ought to be standing out and standing up as a light in the darkness for the glory of God. And it is the kingdom of God within us. It is that unchangeable kingdom within us that empowers us to live this steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the Lord kind of life. So look at that next point. We're going to kind of hit our new thought for today. So we're going to dive in today and just talk a little bit about the kingdom. And I want us to understand this morning, I really feel like the Holy Spirit said, Keith, I want us to understand how the kingdom of God not only works within us, but how the kingdom of God is manifested through us individually, and I want you to hear this, and uniquely. And we're going to see some interesting things today about the kingdom of God that my prayer, I really believe, is that God wants to unite us and strengthen us and fortify us as a body of believers so that we can work together like never before. How many of you understand that in the midst of crisis, you need unity like never before? In the midst of crisis, we've got to come together and work together like never before. And part of us working together means that we understand the uniqueness and the distinction of how God works individually in us so that individually we can shine for Christ, but corporately we can connect together to be the body of Christ in a world that needs to see Jesus. Amen? So look at that next point on your outline. So the kingdom of God is more than rules, regulations, or rituals because they change, right? The rules, the regulations, the rituals of life change, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, I want to define it like this. Righteousness, peace, and joy are the standards of the kingdom of God. In Romans 14, verse 17, the apostle Paul says this. He says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. And we're going to explain that. We're going to read Romans 14 together in just a minute. And we're going to dive into what he's really talking about. But look what he says. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, what's interesting about this scripture here is that throughout the gospels, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like. Jesus gives a lot of comparisons in the gospels of what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a fig tree. It's like a treasure. It's like a pearl of great price. And he gives us all these examples and illustrations of what the kingdom of God is like. But in Romans 14, verse 17, Paul defines the kingdom. He gives us what I believe is the standard of the kingdom of God. And here's the standard of the kingdom of God. It is righteousness, it is peace, and it is joy. And next week, we're going to begin diving into those three things. We're going to look in depth at what does the standard of the kingdom really look like? What does righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit really look like in me and in you as God governs our heart by the standard of the kingdom? 
But today we're going to look at something a little bit different. So let's talk about rules, regulations, and rituals. First of all, you need to understand there will always be rules, regulations, and rituals, right? There's always going to be rules and regulations and rituals. And let me give you a couple good examples. uh, And let's talk about how those rules, regulations, and rituals are always changing. Uh, How many parents in the room? We got any parents in the house today? All right, how many kids in the house? That'd be all of us, right? You were all a kid at one time. That was a trick question, just seeing if y'all were awake. So, <clears throat> all right, here we go. So, if you're a parent, how many of you know that when, when you brought home, right, we're about to have our first grandbaby, Xander's coming here in just a few weeks, and uh, when you brought home that newborn baby, you remember that? When you brought home that newborn baby, and I mean it was fresh, brand new, you know what? When you brought home that newborn baby, there were some newborn baby rules, regulations, and rituals in your house. Right? I mean, there were some things you did and didn't do, and all of a sudden, everything in your home, all the rules, all the rituals, and all the regulations that governed your family changed around that newborn little baby. And then all of a sudden, that newborn baby becomes a toddler, and the rules changed. Right? When that toddler, when that baby became a toddler, all of a sudden, the rules changed. Now the ritual's different. Now the regulations are different. And now the rules in the house are different because instead of being that cute little baby that just looks wonderful, now he's running into everything, got hands on everything, and he never sleeps, right? And so now we've got all kind of new rules in the house. And then the toddler becomes a fifth grader, and we got new rules. And then the fifth grader becomes a teenager, and we got a lot more rules. And then the teenager becomes a teenager with a driver's license, and we got new rules, and then the teenager with the driver's license becomes a graduate from high school, and now we got new rules, right? And then the graduate from high school becomes a college student, and we got new rules. And then the college student becomes a husband or a wife, and they get married and start their own family. And now there's a whole set of new rules, new rituals, and new regulations. The way we do family now with grown children doesn't look anything like the way we used to do family when all of our kids were little. All the rules, all the regulations, and all the rituals change. And they're necessary. We need them. They're required. We got to have them. But they're constantly changing. And what I want us to see today is that the rules and regulations and rituals of life are always changing. And even as Christians, let me understand that as Christians, we have rules, regulations, and rituals that help kind of define our Christianity. I mean, if you just look at the Christian faith, as a whole, there are some general rules and regulations that define the Christian faith. You actually can't call yourself a Christian if you don't believe in Christ. Come on, somebody. Right? There's just kind of some rules, some regulations that define Christianity. And then if you boil that down to churches, how many know that every church and every denomination and every body of believers has a different set of rules, regulations, and rituals? Let's just be honest, there are some places today that blue jeans and a t-shirt would not be appropriate preaching attire, right? Some places I couldn't walk into the podium and stand behind the pulpit wearing what I'm wearing today. And you know what? That doesn't make us right and them wrong, and it doesn't make them right and us wrong. It just means we're different. It means we've got different rules and different regulations and different rituals that define how we express our faith in Jesus Christ. And here's the challenge. One of the schemes of the enemy, hear me, one of the schemes of the enemy is Satan wants to bring division into the body of Christ. Not just local churches, but churches and Christianity in general. Because Satan knows this. Satan knows if he can get Christians fighting Christians, then everybody loses. 
If he can get Christians fighting Christians, then everybody loses. How many of you understand that if somebody else is a Christian and they are truly a follower of Jesus Christ, they're not our enemy. We're not in competition with them. We're actually supposed to complement them and work together as the body of Christ around the world. One of the things that I love about Arab Alabama is we've got about 10 local churches and we have 10 pastors and I'm a part of that 10 that we have real relationship with each other and we care for one another and we support one another and we encourage one another and we come alongside one another and when one church is in need, the other church helps and when another church is in need, the other churches help. Why? Because we're not in competition with each other. We're supposed to complement one another because every church, just like different individuals, can reach different people. And how many know God loves everybody? He loves the suit and tie guy that stands behind the pulpit in the first big church, and he loves the little country redneck that stands behind the pulpit at Liberty Church. God loves us all, amen? And he wants to reach every person on planet earth with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's look at our next point. I want you to see this. So as Christians... We are governed, the king's dominion. Remember, the kingdom means the king's dominion and the king's domain. We are governed from within. God governs the heart of believers, not from without, but from within. You're not governed by external rules and regulations. You are really governed by the internal witness and conviction of the Holy Spirit. If you have to have a rule to do the right thing, you're not following Jesus. Let me say that again. If you have to have a rule to do the right thing, you're not following Jesus. If the only reason you don't steal is because the sign says don't steal, you're in trouble. Right? We're not governed from without. We are governed from within. Now, that does not mean we get to exclude and exempt ourselves from the external rules and regulations. We're going to talk about that. But it means we don't live by that. And what's powerful is when you don't live, when you're not governed by external rules and regulations, then you can live a consistent life. Because we just established a while ago the rules and regulations change. They change. They change as parents. They change in marriage. They change on business. They change in jobs. They change in churches. The rules and the regulations change. But if I live by a standard that is internal, based off the kingdom of God, which is righteousness, peace, and joy, all of a sudden I can live a consistent life of stability and strength, and I can always be abounding and growing and becoming the person God has called me to be, regardless of the rules and regulations that surround me. Do you realize we're living under some COVID-19 restrictions right now? And I understand some people love it and some people hate it, and it's crazy, right? That, the best word I can use to describe what's happening in our world is it's just crazy. But do you realize that Jesus's disciples lived under regulations from the Roman Empire? I mean, imagine, here was one of the rules. Here was one of the rules Christians had to live by because they were under Roman Empire. If a Roman citizen was walking by your property, and by the way, in that day, everybody walked, they could stop at your front door and you were required by Roman law to carry their property for one mile. You had to stop whatever you were doing. 
you had to walk out to the road and you had to pick up whatever they were carrying and you had to tote it for one mile. That's why Jesus said, if somebody compels you to go one mile, go with them too. You know where mile markers really came from? It came from Jewish citizens living under Roman oppression. They would literally measure one mile from their property and they would put a stone there to mark it because they're like, I'm not going to tote this thing. One more step. Right here's a mile marker. Bam, that's it. Then Jesus comes along and says, if they ask you to go one mile, go two. But you know what Jesus never said? Jesus said, Jesus never said, don't tote it one mile. Jesus actually took it another level. He said, not only do you need to live by the rules and regulations of the culture, he said, but you need to live in righteousness, peace, and joy to such a degree that you're willing to go an extra mile. Praise the Lord. So look at this next point. So as Christians, we are governed from within, not without. Now look at this next statement. I want you to hear this. This means that the kingdom of God looks different. It looks different in each person's life, yet it is the same for every person. You might say, Pastor Keith, you just, you just contradicted yourself. How can it look different and be the same? Well, because this is what I want you to see here. We're going to look in Romans 14. And we're going to read almost the whole chapter of Romans 14. And this is, this is what we're going to learn today. The kingdom of God, because we're governed from within and not from without, the kingdom of God is manifested or expressed differently. How many of you understand that in this room here today, I'm not sure how many people are in this room here today, but there are hundreds, maybe thousands watching us online. But of every person watching us today and listening to this message today, this is what I want you to understand. We all have different convictions about how we live our Christian life. Amen? Will we agree with that? Hey, let's just, let's just even take it a little bit further. Even as Christians, we have different convictions about how we parent our children. We have different convictions about how we handle our money. We have different convictions about how we, uh, about how we conduct our business. We have, I mean, in, in a room of 100 people, 1,000 people, 10,000 people, there's 10,000 different convictions of parenting and family and relationships and money. And, and I'm not talking about sin issues. I'm not talking about, hey, you're doing something that's sin or you're doing something that's sin. I'm just talking about there's a big old gray area there where it's not right and it's not wrong. It's really based on your conviction. Now, here's the key. This is what we're going to see. Because there is... We have different convictions. Let me say it like this. We have different convictions because we have different callings. And I believe, this is Keith Hodges' personal opinion right here, I believe that the convictions of your heart line up with the calling of God upon your life. The convictions of your heart line up with the calling of God on your life. Why? Because personal conviction is used by the Holy Spirit to govern our lives from within so we can be strategically and purposely placed on the path and in the people's lives that we're supposed to be in. And I'm just going to tell you, here at Liberty Church, this is kind of crazy, but I was thinking about just this morning that here at Liberty Church, one of the, the high standards that we have in ministry at Liberty Church is in our youth ministry. The high standard that we have at Liberty Church is in our youth ministry. Let me tell you why. Because if you are, if you are leading youth, everything you say and do becomes the model for their life. 
If you're leading youth, right? If you're leading kids, you come to church and you have children's church and you go home and you probably don't see those kids again until next week. But if you're leading youth, Man, they're watching everything you say. They're listening to everything you post. They're watching every video and every TikTok, right? I want to call it Tic Tac. I think that sounds better. Y'all remember the Tic Tac candy? They probably still make that. I'm not sure. Anyway, they're watching all that stuff, right? And so we have this standard that is really higher for our youth ministry team than for any other ministry team. Why? Because of the calling that's on their life. Because those kids are watching them. They're watching every move that they make, every post that they make, every phrase that they speak, every decision that they make is being observed. And all of a sudden, if you're a youth leader, you are now the example of what I as a young person should aspire to be. So we raise the bar. Why? Because I believe that convictions are connected to calling. So let's read. Romans 14, because what we're going to see is the kingdom looks different, but it's the same. And what makes the kingdom the same is the standards don't change. Righteousness, peace, and joy is the standard for every person. And if what you're doing doesn't match up with the righteous peace, righteousness, peace, and joy of God's spirit, then you're in violation of the kingdom, amen? So we have the same standard, but different expressions of how that looks, Romans 14, we're going to read 23 verses. Is that okay that we read the Bible in church today? Y'all good with me? All right, we're going to read 23 verses. I'm going to talk to it. So I want you to see this. As we read through the scripture, I want you to see how Paul is addressing the fact that there are different expressions of faith, but they're all serving the same God. They're still living by the standard of the kingdom, but they're expressing the kingdom in unique ways. And what Paul is saying here to the Romans, these New Testament Christians, is he's saying, guys, hey, don't let this divide us. Let this strengthen us so we can work together to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? So Romans 14, look what he says. He says, accept other believers. Now again, he's talking about believers. Accept other followers of Christ who are weak in the faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. He says, so instead of arguing with other Christians, why don't you start out by just accepting them? He's not saying accept sinful behavior. That's not what he's talking about. He's not saying accept immorality or perversion. He's, he's just saying, hey, there are other believers. They're true followers of Jesus Christ. They love God just like you love God. They're serving God like you're serving God. He said, but there are some expressions of their faith. The kingdom is being manifested in their life a little bit different than the way it's being manifested in your life. So they look different, but Paul says they're still the same. So accept them, don't argue with them. Look at verse 2. He says, for instance, he gives us some examples. For instance, one person believes that it's all right to eat anything. And Tony would say, amen for that. Ain't that right, Tony? Come on, let's eat anything. But another believer with a sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. All my vegetarians in the house, let me hear you out there. Not one. Praise God, we live in Arab, Alabama. We're going to go home and eat meat is what we're going to do. Maybe online you might have one. There you go. Look at verse 3. He says, those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. 
And he says, and who are you to condemn another person's servant? Their own master will judge whether they will stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. And in the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think that every day is alike. But you should be each fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. And those who worship the Lord on a special day, do it to honor him. And those who eat any kind of food, do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it is to honor the Lord. And if we die, it is to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Look at verse 9. And Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord. Jesus is wanting lordship, dominion. He's wanting the kingdom of God to come into our hearts and our lives. To be Lord of both the living and the dead. Look at verse 10. So why do you condemn your brother? Why do you condemn another believer? And why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scripture says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will confess and give praise to God. Look at verse 12. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Y'all read that last phrase with me? Each of us will give a what? personal account to God. Does that mean I don't have to give an account to God for how Howard lives his life and Howard doesn't have to give an account to God for how I live my life? That's exactly what it means. I'm going to give a personal account to God. I'm not going to answer for you and you're not going to answer for me. So guess what? I don't have to judge you. I don't have to control you. I don't have to criticize you. I don't have to critique you because I'm not the judge. I'm a brother in Christ. And we always told our kids, your job is not to control, not to discipline your brothers and sisters. We told our kids, your job is one thing. Your job is to love them. How many know all the moms and dads out there today? How many know that uh, one of the things you'll hear moms say every now and then, if everybody could just get along, if y'all just love each other. Because really that's in a mama's heart, it's in a daddy's heart. We want our kids to love one another. We want them to respect one another. We want them to care for one another. We don't want them judging and critiquing and criticizing and condemning and controlling and manipulating each other. We just want them to love one another. Now again, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about ungodly love that says anything goes. I'm talking about the kind of love that speaks truth, the kind of love that confronts, the kind of love that corrects, the kind of love that will get in your face when you need somebody in your face. But God is calling us to love one another. He says, guess what, guys? Everybody's going to stand before God and give it a personal account for your life. So stop judging other people and live your life. Look what he says this next verse. He says, so stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you'll not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Live in a way that you won't cause anybody else to stumble and fall. Don't let your Christianity become a stumbling block to other people. Now look what he says. He goes on here. He says, and I know and I'm convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person, it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, then you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. And then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God, here it is, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Now it kind of makes sense, right? It's not about the rules and rituals. 
Paul says there's a lot of rules and rituals. Some people eat this, some people don't eat this. They all do it to honor God. Some people worship on one day, some people worship every day. They all do it to honor God. He says some people worship with old school hymns and some people worship with contemporary music and some people bring lights and fog and put it on the stage. He said it don't matter. It don't matter. Let me tell you what you can't say. You can never say that your way is the right way. And the moment that you say your way is the right way, you have made yourself judge and jury. I'm not talking about God's way is the right way. Yeah, we can say that. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, that's the right way. The Word of God is the right way. The commandments of God are the right way. But I can never say my way is the right way. If you don't worship like me, you're not worshiping. Come on, pump somebody. If you don't pray like I pray, if you don't minister like I minister, if you don't serve like I serve, if you don't live like I live, then you're not really living for Jesus. I read an article this past week that said if you eat this kind of food, then you're not really loving God and following him. I thought, how foolish. I just thought I wish they would listen to my sermon today. That's what I was thinking. I knew what I was going to be preaching on. But look what he says. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if you serve Christ, who are we serving? If you serve Christ with this attitude, you'll please God and others will approve of you. So then let us aim. Here's the goal. Here's the aim. Here's the prize. Let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it's wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You might believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God, right? Keep it between yourself and God. Let's just give me, let me give you a real practical thing. COVID-19, coronavirus, do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? Do I wear gloves? Do I not wear gloves? Do I shake hands? Do I not shake hands? We got all kinds of people in church and some people want to hug everybody and some people don't want to hug nobody. So let me give you a clue right here. Honor, honor your brother's convictions. Honor them. And here's what I want you to understand. When I walk in love, that doesn't mean I don't have faith. As a matter of fact, when I walk in love and I don't do certain things around you because I know you don't want me to or you don't feel comfortable doing it, right? You don't want to hug, so I'm not going to hug you. And just because I don't hug you, that doesn't mean I don't have faith in what I believe. It means that I'm willing to love you with the love of Christ. And 1 Corinthians 13 makes a great statement. It says, now by his faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is what? Love is the expression of real faith. And if I'm walking in love, then I'm doing my best, not perfectly, but I'm doing my best not to cause other people to stumble. If it was up to me, I'd just hug everybody in this room here today. But you know what? I'm going to honor, number one, the authority over us, Number two, I'm going to honor the preferences of other people. Because guess what? Whether you hug or don't hug ain't a sin or not sin. It ain't a heaven or a hell decision. Amen? So let's get over ourselves a little bit, all right? Come on, somebody. Y'all with me? All right. So, verse 23, this is where we want to get to. We got one last point. Y'all still good? Everybody good? Give me an amen or something. Let me know you're with us. If you're online, give us a thumbs up or a heart. Say, hey, we're still here, Pastor Keith. Come on. 
But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you're not following your convictions. We're going to talk about that word. That's important. You're not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. So look at that last point. So God governs us from within. Not rules and regulations, but internal government. God governs us from within. By by righteousness, peace, and joy, God governs our heart by the kingdom. Convictions are not commandments, and they do not override commandments. Convictions are God's kingdom instructions through the Holy Spirit for our personal lives. I'm going to talk about that last part, and then I'm going to jump up to the first part. I've already said it. We have unique gifts and callings. So convictions are God's kingdom instructions. You have personal convictions that may be different than other people's personal convictions. Again, I'm not talking about violating the word of God. I'm not talking about things that God very clearly says is sin, okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about preferences, convictions, in how you ought to do the things that you're doing. And guess what? You need to honor those because the Bible says if you violate your convictions, you're in sin. Because convictions are God's personal instruction to get you on the path and connect you to the people that he's called you to serve. And did you hear that last part? That he's called you to serve. This is about advancing the kingdom. This is not about your personal promotion. This is not about you making more money. This is not about you increasing your, 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 uh, your social media influence. This is about you serving people through the power and the grace and the glory of God. This is about the kingdom of God advancing through you, God taking dominion and authority over the earth because you're willing to follow the convictions that God has for you. So we clear on that. Y'all good? Y'all understand what I'm saying? So let's talk about real quick, convictions are not commandments. What do I mean by that? I simply mean this. I cannot take my personal convictions and apply them as a commandment over your life. We have have different convictions. And convictions are convictions. They're not commandments. Convictions are unique to people. People. Commandments apply to everybody. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not commit fornication, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife or stuff or any of those things. How many of you know those are commandments? That applies to everybody. But convictions are personal. So my convictions, I can't impose my convictions on you and say, if you don't do what I do, then you're in sin. No, if it's not your conviction, then it's not your conviction. Again, not commandment, conviction. The only exception to that rule, let me give you an exception. The only exception to that rule is this. The only time you can impose your convictions on others is if you're in a place of authority. Now let me explain that. Let me give you two examples. I'll give you three examples. The first example is in the family. Mom and dad have the authority to impose their convictions on their household. Be home at 10 o'clock where everybody else stays out till midnight. Be home at 10 o'clock where everybody else gets to do it. Be home at 10 o'clock where everybody else gets to do this. Be home at 10 o'clock where everybody else gets to do that. Be home at 10 o'clock where everybody else, I don't care what everybody else gets to do. Right? Amen? I don't care. Don't matter. These are, these are the rules, regulations 
of our family, and they're based on convictions, right? Mom and dad have this conviction that you need to be home at 10 o'clock, or you don't need a cell phone till you're 16, or you're not going to drive however you're going to do, whatever it is. And so moms and dads, if you're in a place of authority, you have the authority from God to enforce convictions on those under you. Now again, it's not a commandment from God, but it is a conviction, and the Bible says those that rebel against authority rebel against God, amen? But it's not a commandment issue, it's still a conviction issue, but you have a right. Let me give you another example. When you go to work tomorrow, your employer has the right to impose convictions. I want you to wear these kind of clothes, right? I want you to report it this time. And this is how I want you to deal with this problem. Well, there's a better way to deal with the problem. I don't want to deal with it your way. I want to deal with it this way. I want you to do it. This is how I want you to do it. And guess what? Your employer has every right to impose their convictions of how they want to run their business on you. But here's the good news. If you don't like it, get another job. You can get another job. If you don't like the convictions, the rules, regulations, and standards on your job, get a new job. You don't have to stay there. But guess what? They have every right under the government of God to enforce those convictions. Let's talk one more thing. Let's talk about pastors, spiritual leaders. Let's talk about the church for a second. As a pastor, I have personal convictions, but then also as a pastor, I have pastoral convictions that apply to the vision and direction of Liberty Church. And because of that, we have rules, regulations, and standards that we live by. Now, here's the realization. If you don't like them, you can go somewhere else. We don't want anybody to go anywhere else, but these are the rules, regulations, and convictions that we live by here at Liberty Church. Why? Because of the vision and the direction that God has called us to. So, does that all make sense? Y'all good with me? So, convictions are on command. Let me give you one last thought here, and we're going to wrap up. Convictions do not override commandments. What I mean by that is really simple. You cannot say... I don't feel convicted about having sex outside of marriage, so it's not sin for me. I don't feel convicted about lying. I don't feel convicted about, about stealing. I don't feel convicted about having an affair on my spouse, so it's not sin because there's no conviction. Absolutely not. Convictions do not override commandments. The commandments apply whether you feel conviction or not. As a matter of fact, the fact that you don't feel conviction doing something that God very clearly says is sin is an indicator, according to Scripture, that you have hardened your heart through rebellion to the point that you don't even feel the conviction of God anymore. And you need to repent. Amen? So I said all that to say this. We're different, but we're the same. And the way the kingdom of God works is God works from within. We live by rules and regulations, but we're governed from within. And it's that internal government of the kingdom that empowers us to be powerful. And you may be a little different, and you may express your faith a little different than other Christians, and that's perfectly okay, because it's not those differences that divide us. It is those differences that unite us so we can be powerful. Mike Ship was in our last service, and Mike was the principal of our school here in Arab for a while, but before that, he was a football coach. And I just had the thought, I looked out there and I saw him, and I just had this thought. I thought, man, what would it look like if you had a football team and you sent out 11 quarterbacks? What if you sent out 11 centers? 
11 guards, 11 tackles, 11 wide receivers. You know what would happen? You'd lose. Because we understand that the success of a team is not that everybody looks alike, acts alike, or functions alike. As a matter of fact, we love diversity. You need the big old 400-pound guy in the center, and you need the really fast guy in the back. (laughs) And they're all valuable, and they're all important, and if they will work together, guess what will happen? You will win. And when we celebrate those diversities and honor those differences under the standard of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden we win. Amen? I want us to do something. Let's just bow our heads today. Maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you're not even in the game. Maybe you have never entered the kingdom of God. If you're watching me online, and you realize this morning you've been governed from without. You've really lived outside of the government of God. There's no internal conviction. Oh, there's personal preference and there's personality traits, but there's no real government of God. And you know that. You know that you've never invited Jesus to be Lord of your life. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. And if you're here this morning and you want to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life, I want to ask you to do something very simple. And if you're watching online and you want to ask Jesus to be Lord of your life, I'm going to ask you to pray with me in just a minute. I'm going to ask you to click on that button that says contact us and let us know today that you're making a decision to follow Christ. But if you're in this room here today or you're watching online, I want to ask you just to do something really simple. I want you just to stand up. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed, nobody's looking at you. But this is an opportunity for you to make a step of faith, just to stand up and say, today I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I've never really been saved. I've never really been born again. And I need God to live within me. I need my sins to be forgiven. And I need my heart to be changed. If that's you today, I want you to stand. If that's you watching online, I want you just to stand up right there in your living room and say, Pastor Keith, that's me. And I want to just pray together right now. Let's just pray this prayer. Everybody in the room, just say it with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died for my sins, rose again on the third day. I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.